Yo, everybody. My name's Chad from the Jumpman Podcast. We're doing another interview today with my good... I don't want to say my good friends. My friend who knows my name. That's that's pretty good. No, we're start. good friends. We've we <laughs> That's right. We've been, in, we've been in stuff. You know, I think we shared a drink together. We've shared more than one, perhaps. Yes. I've, made, I, I've helped to make fun of your work, and I'm pretty sure you laughed at it. I did. <laughs> um, so, we're speaking with Ed... Valentine, and I'll give you the briefest of introductions. So, for people who don't know, uh, but you should know who who it, who it is. He is a three-time daytime Emmy Award winner, uh, and that was children's TV writing for Sesame Street from 2003, 2013, 14, and 15. Emmy nominated for the Fairly Odd Parents way back in 2009. You are a writer um, for among other shows. I think I got this straight from your website. <laughs> Uh, you've done. You've written for Sesame Street, Doc McStuffins, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, The Fairly Odd Parents, Bubble Gubbies, Marvel's Ultimate Spider-Man, which is the newest one, Marvel's yep. Avengers Assemble, which is 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 that the newest one or is that the one that got canned? I, I it might have been. I'm not. I think it's still on, but <laughs> okay. I'm not sure if it's canned or not. But it is it is the new one. So okay. Uh, and Transformers Rescue Bots, among others, in theater because you don't just write for TV. In theater, you were named one of the. One of the 50 playwrights to watch in the Dramatist magazine in July 2007. Your plays are performed all over the country, including, I, I think, my favorite title, which you developed at the O'Neill, was Lizzie or Hatchet Hour. That's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ed, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to talk to you. We've been, we've been planning to do this for a while, and I'm glad we're doing it. Me too. I think we, I was coming back home from performing a puppet show, and... Uh, when, when it never happens in New York City because there's eight million people, but just there you were on the same car as me. I think, and it was super early, and I was super tired, and I was like, "That guy looks familiar," and I just <laughs> hadn't seen you in such a long time, and I wasn't expecting you on the train. But I'm I'm glad we ran into each other. Absolutely, it was it destiny. Led, it led to this. Here we are. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sure everybody uh, listening to this podcast is as is as big of a movie and TV geek as uh, myself and my brother Eric are. So I want to ask you, what is your, what's your regular day job? Because I know you have a lot of jobs. What is like an average day for you as, do you consider yourself a writer? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so fortunate that I'm, I'm actually making my living as a writer these days. And as a freelance writer, I'm not, you know, I, I'm a staff writer on Sesame Street as much as anybody is um, because they, uh, you know, most staffs have a have a full time staff, um, and with the the number of shows there are in Sesame Street, um, they're you know we're we're kind of uh, a group of freelancers who get together as the staff uh, from time to time. Does that make any sense? Does that that sounds kind of goofy? I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure. I'm being clear about that. A, a little bit. Well, I know that Sesame Street uh, proper only shoots for like a few months out of the year, right? So it makes sense that the writers only get together a little bit out of the year. Exactly, yeah. So, so you know, but, you know, we're the consistent staff. Um, and uh, But every day kind of changes for me because I'm a freelancer. So today, for example, I, I, worked, on, uh, I worked on some stuff for a new series of Disney spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then I, I did... Even before that, I did some writing of my own stuff on a new puppet piece I'm working on. Um, then the Disney stuff, and then I worked for a while on uh, School of Visual Arts, where I'm I'm teaching uh, the thesis class in visual narrative, um, which is pretty awesome. It's an online thesis class, so I did some work for um, for for our for our MFA program. Um, 
Does but every, every day is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Now, do, uh, in terms of your like writing process, you know, as a freelancer, you have a lot on your plates. Um, do, does that work better for you where you have like a bunch of different things all at once? And depending on what, whatever you're into, you can just, you know, you know, jump into it. You know, I think I, I've been I've been doing. It's funny you use plates plural, and that's how it does feel. It, it feels like there's there are many plates, and they're all spinning at one time, <laughs> um, in 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 true circus fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, I and I, I don't know if it works better for me, but I've I I certainly know it's what I've adapted to. Um, that there are f- often five or six things going on at one time. I think I think I'd probably be better if there were three or four instead of five, <laughs> six, or seven. Um, you know, and and I think part of the challenge is is trying to to make sure that my own work, my own personal work, is is still uh, you know chugging along while while I'm also writing for others. So um, both of those things have to have to kind of I have to make sure I have those things in balance. Got it. So, um, in terms of your work, do um, do you write more for yourself for the theater, or are you always like kicking around some kind of uh, like TV show uh, idea? Yeah, a little of both. Um, you know, I think theater and, and puppetry. I've I definitely kind of have to make sure that I I I don't uh, I don't ignore those parts of my life um, because they're. You know, so much of the professional work has been in uh, in TV, um, you know, and screenplays that that people are are reading and kicking about. So I, I I need to make sure that the things that that don't aren't necessarily as high profile, I'm still paying attention to. Um, and uh, but but yeah, definitely even the even my own. I definitely have some ideas for for television that I've been kind of out to LA to to talk to people about, and hopefully one of these days soon I'll I'll get something something actually up and running and and going that's that's kind of of my own picked out of my own brain. <laughs> now, uh, in terms of Sesame Street, which we're all a fan of, I think every single person is a fan of Sesame Street in some way. I hope so I don't I don't think we've ever met anybody who I've never met anybody who's like God I hate the show. Oh my. What a terrible show, right? Maybe, maybe like a jaded middle schooler. Maybe, you know? yeah, yeah, right. Seven <laughs> year old who's like, "Oh my god, I'm so over that." Yeah, but secretly they love it, and yeah. we. Love it. But yes, I, we. I hope we all love the show. Yes, I, I know we do. I, I think I, I was on set once, and Pam Arciero was there, and I, I admitted to her that as a child I didn't get PBS. Huh. We lived out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. We got three stations on our TV. I didn't know there was anywhere that didn't get PBS. Uh, apparently, we didn't have uh, have numbers on our houses either because there's just okay. two houses on the whole street. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I, I told her I was like, uh, I was like, you know, Sesame Street. I don't know that much about it. And she's like, What do you mean? It's every it's every kid's dream to be here on set. And I was like, uh, I didn't actually watch it growing up, and I felt like, Oh crap! Why did I just say that on set Dude, on Sesame oh, Street? That's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Oh man. So anyway, so I want to ask you, how did you uh, wind up uh, on Sesame Street of all places? Such a funny story. I actually, it, it came about really through my playwriting. Yeah. yeah I, I was uh, studying with the great playwright Tina Howe, who wrote Painting Churches and Pride's Crossing and um, a number of, number of other great, great plays. Um, and Tina taught at Hunter College and I was a I was taking classes with her there, mm-hmm. um, and I won some playwriting awards for for my work there. 
And the person who gave the playwriting awards um, there was was the former head writer of Sesame Street. Um, mm. he was, at that time, he was the current head writer, Lou Berger. And Lou and I never met at the time, uh, but he knew my work through my plays. And many years later, a number of years later, about seven, um, Lou came to speak when I was later on a, a grad student at NYU in dramatic writing. Um, and I was there to be a playwright. Uh, Lou, I'm, I met Lou when he did a professional colloquium, and I kind of said, you know, I, Lou, I, we've never met in person, but you've been so, uh, I'm so grateful for for the recognition for my work, because at the time, Chad, I really wasn't a writer. I mean, I can now proudly say that I'm a writer, mm-hmm. but at the time, I was a middle school teacher. I don't know if you know, I was mm. a, a fourth grade teacher for six years. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, back in the early 2000s, I, I was teaching fourth graders f- at, at, for my living um, I'm until not, Tina. I, can I tell you, I'm not surprised. You come off really that, as a middle school teacher. Is that right? I, I, <laughs> I thank you, I think. <laughs> is that a good thing? I don't know. Um, well, you know, here's here's the weird thing. I was actually my plays were were pretty were were well, and you've seen some of my puppet work, which is actually not really for kids. Right. Um, it's it's dark. I mean, there was you mentioned the Lizzie Borden piece. Oh, yeah. So I was writing kind of these weird dark these dark plays, but but they hit a chord with Lou. Um, later, I went to to grad school for playwriting, and and I met Lou at this colloquium and thanked him for for the recognition, and he he did so much in in kind of recognizing me as a writer early on, even though we'd never met. And he kind of said, "Hey, come come by the come by the workshop, and we'll talk someday." Hmm. He came by the workshop, and he at the end of it, he said, "Hey, do you think you'd ever?" Would you ever be interested in writing for Sesame Street? And I, I, you know, quailing, quailing before the throne, I said, <laughs> "Yes, I would." And I, I mean, it was for me. I did grow up with Sesame, and it was, it was, it was a dream. It was a dream. Um, it took a long time for that to happen. Um, and by the time, you know, by the time, kind of my my pieces made made the rounds, um, he was no longer the head writer. It's the current head writer, the great Joey Mazzarino. Mm-hmm. And um, and that that's uh, that's what happened. It, so really, I came to the attention of Lou through through my plays. Cool. Wow. Um, let's see. Was Sesame Street like the first? Your one of, one of your first major forays into writing for television, and then your career just kind of spread out from there. Actually, the the weird thing is that it, it turned out it was it was sort of on a parallel path with the other TV writing that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened almost exactly simultaneously with with this other part of my life, which was, uh, you know, as I say, I was at grad school at NYU, and I I was there as a playwright, but I started taking TV classes, and while I was there, I realized that my I kind of have a big imagination and a um, you know, kind of a, a, a strange imagination, I guess. And I write things about, you know, I wrote a play about, uh, you know, Paul, the giant lumberjack, Paul Bunyan passing away and the little girl who buries him. Um, and uh, <laughs> and a, a play about a, a farmer haunted, pig farmer haunted by a, a mysterious woman with the face of a pig. Mm. Um, so while he's, you know, while while I was working on plays that had sort of a big visual imagination, I found that the people who really appreciated it at NYU were the TV writers. Because yeah. um, they kind of said, oh man, you know, the, the stuff you write would be great in animation. 
And so I started writing for animation at, at the suggestion of one of my teachers there. He suggested that I apply to the Nickelodeon Writing Fellowship, um, which my, my the, the teacher is a fantastic TV writer for Seinfeld named Charlie Rubin. And Charlie said, oh, you know, apply for Nickelodeon. They're in New York and you won't even have to leave home. Um, he he was right about so many things, but he was wrong about Nickelodeon being in New York. At least ah. their fellowship was not. It was in Burbank, California. Hmm. And I actually did I did apply, and I, I got a call asking me to come out and interview in Burbank. Wow. And I, I did win the, the Nick Writing Fellowship um, and, and moved out there to California for about eight, seven years. I was bi-coastal. Um, and, and that happened pretty much at the same time that things were starting to cook at Sesame. Um, and that's what led to Fairly Odd Parents and, and my work at Nickelodeon. Cool. So, um, but one last foray. Thank you very much. One last foray back into Sesame Street before before we uh, we tangent out. Anytime. Um, how is it? Uh, so you've you've written actually a lot of pieces that my son and I have watched together, including uh, Trash Giving's Day, oh which, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you like it. I love that play. I and love that piece. All of the all of the um, the crummy pictures uh, with the Cookie Monster um, doing his thing, especially your your Harry Potter parody. Oh, God, I, I love how that turned out. I love them all. I'm I'm I, I get I get such such a kick of watching them come to life. Awesome. I was wondering about that. Are you on set uh, while they're filming, like your specific piece? Like, do you get like, uh, do you get like a call or an email saying like, "Hey, uh, what's your schedule like? Uh, let's let's sync you up and make sure that you're on set while they're shooting." You know, the 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 show kind of certainly runs itself, <laughs> um, and and they they don't call call me to make sure that I'm there. But I, you know, we're we're always welcome to come for our own for our own shows and as as many times as possible i i try to make sure that i'm there mm-hmm. um and when i'm there i just I, you know it's so brilliant to watch as as you know to watch the the muppeteers do their thing oh yeah um, and and to watch this incredible team of artists from directors and lighting and set people and props people um to to watch everybody you know even even everybody dressing the muppets like it's it's so astonishing in, in that trash giving piece you mentioned you know you write something like the grouches come by i mean your your audience i'm not sure your audience has seen the show but the it's a trash giving it's sort of like the macy's thanksgiving day parade for grouches um so i think in the script i wrote that somebody comes by selling moldy pretzels um you know so you show up there on the set and they've got they've got like <laughs> a, you know like a display of moldy pretzels and 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 ice cream with fish bones in it uh, it's so amazing to see that they can they can make anything happen and it's so thrilling to watch um to watch that just develop around you it's it's there's no greater thrill in the world for me that's cool, that's cool. how tight-knit is the sesame street family i know from kind of working on the outskirts you know with and a lot of a, a lot of our uh, of our friends uh, work on the street but yes. uh, it's—I I have to imagine—it's an atmosphere of like let let the right ones in. 
I, I, you mean that they're vampires who knock at the windows? Is that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> is, if that's what you're implying, Chad, that's not what it's like at all. No, but, you, weren't you bitten like the Lost Boys? <laughs> exactly, Lost Boys style. No, I think there's, there, is, there is a palpable family feeling there. Um, you know, so many of the people have, have been working there for such a long time, but older new, there's, there's a, there is a family feeling. Um, and, and the knowledge that we're working on something really special Mm-hmm. Um, that that it's it's something that you know look it's it's a show that taught me to read um, and and taught me my letters and now I write so like mm-hmm. I owe a lot to the show and I think that there's there is a real sense that that it's a show that's not like any other um, and and that it's really doing something special for the for the kids in this world so yeah there's I think there's there's a happy feeling on the set and a, and a great family feeling of the people who've who've been part of it and who've, who've been touched by it as well. I think we're all touched by it too. Oh, I, I agree. Mean, I do. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds, uh, you know, I don't know, sugary, but it's, it really is true. I it believe is, it. It is a special place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've seen other episodes of your work where there were definitely puppets coming into play. Like you wrote, you wrote in a Doctor Doom puppet into your Deadpool episode of Ultimate Spider-Man. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you do you purposely look for in and in theater as well? Like a part, like are you consciously in the back of your brain, like, all right, where can I put a puppet in, or you know, how can I make this lo-fi art form like a part of what I'm into? You know, that's I totally do, and you you caught you caught me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <coughs> Excuse me, I um. I think I I was writing puppet theater before I knew there was there was puppet theater, mm-hmm. um, and and I in looking back I guess it was only after that I went to the O'Neill where you and I first met the O'Neill Festival of Puppetry that I realized that everything I've ever written has some sort of puppet in it. Every play I ever wrote has has a puppet or a mask element that um, you know and and for me that's such a huge part of theater uh, you know the theatricality of something. Um, to, to have puppets and masks, um, and I'm interested in them really again because of Sesame. It was uh, the Muppets watching the Muppets on Sesame Street and on the Muppet Show later. They were very, very real to me mm. um, as a, as a child, and and real and very magical um, at the very same time, um, which I think is is something that puppets can do so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're furry, they're weird, they're googly eyed. You know, on, on, at least on Sesame Street, but so they're they but they inhabit the real world, but they also they're they're strange and otherworldly at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what I really responded to. And even before I knew I was doing it, I I wrote plays that had always had a puppet or a mask element. And now, yeah, I'm always trying to find. Um, you know, an opportunity to, to get them in anything. And I'm always pitching shows that are like, every time I go into pitch shows in, in LA, I'm like, yeah, what about we do this with puppets? How about puppets? Um, <laughs> which meets with some, you know, some, there is some resistance still, um, to, to, to using puppets in, in things. And, but I'm, I'm steadily wearing, wearing that resistance down. <laughs> good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're fighting the good fight. I, I'd heard that there was, um, on a network that shall not be named, let's say, there was like a VP who came in and was like, no more puppets. And that became the maxim for at least a decade now. I've heard, I've, I've heard, I've heard that happening from time to time. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's still 
um, you know, I don't know which network you're talking about, but I do think that, you know, I, I hear rumors of that, that kind of thing happening. And I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I, I hope that that's changing. I think it's uh, the success of Sesame shows that it's still a relevant art form for kids and the work you do. I mean, the work you do out, outside of here, I think, you know, you know that it, it has a puppetry has a direct and magical effect on a, a child audience. Um, it's it works in person and it works on TV. So I'm I'm a believer. Cool. Did you ever do you ever catch uh, off topic? Did you ever catch the um, the Mister Rogers Big Bird crossover episodes? Oh my gosh, no! <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're on YouTube. I'm gonna check that out as soon as we get off the off the Skype. Yeah the um, the conversation going into it was like okay all right we're we're both in the doing the same kind of mission you know like how do we combine our forces and then. I heard there was a bit of like the Mr. Rogers camp and probably Fred himself wanted to um, wanted to have um, Carol Spinney take off the costume on camera to show kids kind of like, all right, this is how it works. Right, right. Because that's that's what he's all about. Sure. I mean, he kind of like threw kayfabe out the window and showed everybody like that he was actually filming on a set. Yeah. At one point and it blew and and uh, my wife, who is also a puppeteer. Uh, now it blew her little mind because she thought, you know, she's like, Mr. Rogers is real and we're friends and he talks to me. Right. You know, and, and, uh, and that got her into trouble many times <laughs> when, uh, I think she, she, she went and saw like Bob Vila at like County Fair or somebody close to Bob Vila. And she was like, do you know, Mary? Oh, funny. And oh, he's like, what do you mean? Uh, but, but I just wonder like, um about that like that difference in philosophy between like uh sesame street being like no no no, we're real and kids think that we're real and if you and if big bird's torso comes off people are gonna like lose their minds right yeah i i i'm it reminds me of i don't know if you ever saw that mr rogers episode where he had margaret hamilton on the the wicked witch of the west yes. from the Vaz, oh yeah where, where she came on not i i guess maybe she briefly put on the costume but mm-hmm. she you know she she showed she showed up you know in in her in her not in her skivvies that sounds like she was in her underwear no in her <laughs> civilian clothes i'm trying she, yes. <laughs> to be clear margaret <laughs> hamilton was not in her underwear on mr rogers no she was in her civilian clothes um, you know, her, said, her non-witch clothes, right? And she exactly, and she basically was like, "I'm, you know, what, what's the, what's the political the line from that political campaign? I am not a witch." A mm. um, couple, couple of years ago, she camp woman was running for office where she said she wasn't a witch, and Margaret Hamilton basically <laughs> said the same. She was like, "I'm not really a witch. I'm I'm an actress, and I played a witch in a movie." Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. You know, Chad, it's funny. As a kid, I think I was able to see that and accept it and still be scared by the witch in The Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm, I also am sort of glad that Carol didn't, you know, didn't, uh, didn't reveal, <laughs> reveal his – take his head off and, at, uh, and his torso off on Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Um, it's, nice to, it's, it's nice to be able to believe that they – you know, that the, the Sesame Street Muppets inhabit that world and they're, and they're still themselves. I don't – I don't think I really want to see a show where they, they, you know, suddenly we, we panned everybody underneath them. <laughs> right. Although it's funny in, in, I'm always, because I'm in the know, I'm always kind of looking for that occasionally in like a big group shot to be like, ah, I saw a head. I saw uh, a yeah. head. Yeah. <laughs> and those early shows too, you can really, you, you really see Jim and Frank, um, 
you kind of they, they were they were very ragged in a way um, mm-hmm. the the camera techniques and everything and charmingly so it's just it's it's stunning how and also as a child I never noticed them um, they because the Muppets were so they were so real and so you know kind of so direct sure are you are you googling Mr. Rogers Big Bird I hear some tapping on on, on your keyboard no no I'm 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 coughing if I, oh, if no. I yeah if I sound very throaty um, I am. It's because I am. Uh, I have a, a, an Independence Day cold here. So <laughs> instead of hot dogs and hamburgers, I I got a cold. So I feel like oh. I feel like Charlie Brown at Halloween or something. <laughs> What'd you get for Fourth of July? I got a cold. Wah, wah. But no, no. I, you've got my full attention. I am not tapping or or I'm not. I'm not. Oh. I'm not tapping away. I promise I'll do it after I get off the. Off no, that's all right. That, that that makes me a little. That that means that it's just the connection. So, uh, so. Uh, my brother Eric, who could not be here today, yes. uh, who sends his regards. Hi, Eric. I sent my regards back. <laughs> he had some specific, like he, uh, as as we are all, uh, I'm sure at some points, uh, we are all mystified as any. As, how does anybody get ever hired uh, in the TV and film industry? So he has some very specific questions, which I will now read to you. Okay. Okay. So you talked a little bit about. Uh, about how you got into the industry, but how how now do you find a TV writing job? He says, I assume it's not advertised, like on Craigslist or something. No, would that it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I think for me, I I did my work and I worked on some great shows. Sesame and Fairly Odd Parents were the two the two shows that I was working on first, and so things started to roll after that and people the the more people that i started to to meet in in the you know in the tv industry would call and say hey i've got a new show i've got something going on do you want to write something um you know write an episode for for us and so i was really lucky that that the the people that i sort of had a network of from my time at sesame and from my time at at nickelodeon were generous enough to to extend a hand um, and, and then eventually I, you know, I had a friend who said, you should really look into getting representation. And luckily, you know, they passed my name along to some people and now, you know, it's, it's a little bit of both. I, I have representation and they do hook me up with, you know, not obviously they can't get the job for me, but they can make the connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there's still people who know my work from the work that I do and, and the jobs that I've been on and who will call me up. So there's a, it's about half and half of people who are out there looking for me and, and, and the, the contacts that I made on my own. Cool. So now when you get onto a job, what kind of script are you expected to turn in? Um, like, is it different, uh, per episode? Does somebody say, Hey, I need this episode. 11 minutes long about friendship starring these two characters or is it up to you? Well, it really depends on the show. Um, you know, for Sesame Street, for often for My Little Pony, um, I'm starting with something that you know, I'm kind of going in and pitching an idea of my own with the characters that, that I'm interested in working with. And that sometimes changes depending on the needs of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, sometimes I'll be in a meeting with Joey at Sesame and he'll say, oh, I think this one might work better with Grover instead of Elmo. Um, but you know, often I'm, I am going in and, and kind of pitching around the kind of around the general themes of the curriculum of, of that year's show, especially 
of course, with Sesame because it's an educational show, there's there's a very strong research department that that kind of gives us the direction of of the the year, um, what that's what that season's direction is going to be. Um, but there's within that there's an awful lot of freedom of the characters and the themes that we want to work with. Um, now with other shows, I might even be given a uh, as much as a synopsis or a uh, you know a, a pitch or even a full outline that that would give me kind of a, a really big head start mm-hmm. um, so it kind of uh, you know as I said about my schedule every day is a little bit different so um, you know I kind of never never quite know what I'm gonna get when I open the the, the first email on a new job um, you know how how much or how little of 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 my own planning is going to go into that. And do you work exclusively from home or is there like the, uh, have you ever been in like the traditional writer's room where everybody has, you know, like we've seen on TV, you know, like writings on the walls and everybody's, you know, like has their own setup around a table or. I mean, Sesame is, can be very much like that with, mm-hmm. a, with a, a freewheeling group of people, um, you know, in, in kind of a, a wide ranging discussion. Um, now that, uh, again, that's a little a little bit. Um, l- let me let me go back. You're, you're talking about the sort of thing that we see in in you know shows about writers' rooms, right? That um, most I've never been in that much of a writers' room where everyone's kind of throwing out ideas at the very same time. Um, I would say, you know, with Sesame, there's there's a a, a lot of our freedom in our own direction to 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 put forth what you know what our ideas are um it's only when we sort of get together to to hash things through that it becomes a little more like that traditional writers room i have been in writers rooms that are a little more like that uh fairly odd parents i would say and um doc mcstuffins to some extent as well mm-hmm. um you know but but uh, never kind of that that sort of the thing we hear about, like with Roseanne or something, where 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 it's really everything's really up for grabs, hmm. um, and that's okay with me. I, I I like I do like being with other people um, in a in an office. I m- most of the time now to answer your question, I do work mostly from home, and then I actually have a there's a, a writer's space where you can rent a desk on a monthly basis, and I sometimes do that to to get away from from my house, so I have to you know wear something other than my pajamas. Um, <laughs> sometimes good to be forced to wear something other than your pajamas. Um, I, I, I agree. Get out of your, your space, you know, right? find, find yeah. a space that's like, all right, I'm, I'm now psychologically going to work. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so I do, you know, I do like being in the room where I'm with other people, but I, but I also like, you know, I, I like the freedom of what I'm doing now and the, the setup I have now at the moment. Um, but above all, I, I like being on shows that, that value uh, community, but also value value your personal voice. I'm I'm not sure I want to be on that kind of a show that where where everybody's shouting you down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't, yeah. I don't really know that's my style. Which so, how much of your initial draft? When I assume you turn in an initial draft, uh, how much how much of the of the initial draft makes the episode? Like, if you turned in something, you're like, oh, this is like the cat's pajamas. Uh, is is on different shows? Is your draft like heavily overwritten, or does it just depend on who who you're working for? Absolutely, I think you have to be you know as a writer in TV, you have to be prepared that every word may get 
overwritten and rewritten. Um, and whether it gets completely rewritten or not a word is rewritten, you, you have to recognize that it's not a personal thing. Um, I think that's, that's been a, uh, you know, one of the, the great lessons that I've learned that it's not, uh, somebody's not necessarily, it's possible, but people are not, (laughs) people are not necessarily out to get you if you, you know, if you get your script back and something is completely redone. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it, it, you know, and, and by the same token that if nothing's rewritten, it doesn't mean that you're perfect, um, that, you know the needs of a show are so m- much greater not greater necessarily but so so much more involved than any one writer knows it's it's a funny thing you know i i get um uh, there've there've been a couple of times where i've i've gotten tweets or emails of people who will actually you know viewers who will critique something hmm. um and there there're a couple of times where where you'll get an email like you're you're writing you know, in this episode is too slow. It started too slow. And you think back and you're like, oh, right. Well, that's not what I wrote in the first place. So <laughs> I think I think viewers don't actually, viewers of television, and I certainly, I, I count myself among them before I started writing for TV. Mm-hmm. I think viewers don't necessarily realize that, you know, you're, you, yes, you, you wrote the script, but things go through so many changes with the head writers and the censors and, um, excuse me, we don't use censors anymore. We say standards and practices. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And the research department, um, that, that there's, there are a lot of cooks in that broth. Um, and, um, and so, you know, it, it is very, very much, any, any TV show you see is very much a communal effort. Um, so, yeah, you have to be prepared to, to both have the possibility of being rewritten and know that it's not a personal thing uh, by any means. Gotcha. How much, uh, I'm sure it varies, but how much research do you do on uh, characters and themes uh, and how much help are you given uh, before you start to write for a show? Well, in an educational show, you know, they generally have a lot of research material to go through. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, both stuff that you... Um, you know, stuff about the actual goals of the show, but also the the kids, um, you know, for which it's you know at which it's aimed, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know yourself from from your own kids that there's a huge difference between an infant and a two year old, and oh, then yeah. a two and a four year old, and a four and a six. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think the very often, uh, and in the educational shows that I've been in, there there've been really great teams of people who will kind of educate you on uh, on what the audience is hearing and seeing um so that as well as what you are are trying to get across doc mcstuffins is an educational show um that has has a medical component and i'm you know nobody wants me doing surgery on them i i guarantee you (laughs) um but you know learning from the research department there about what kids understand about the doctor, what kids understand about um, what they fear about the doctor. Um, we were talking before about about your your son's vaccinations, oh, sure. um, and you know, and I think Doc has been really instrumental in figuring in helping kids understand that something may something may hurt or tickle a little, but you know that's the, but their vaccinations are important to do, and a doctor is an important 
an important person who's who's there for your best interests. Um, sure. I mean, so I, right. So yeah. so I've been I've been really lucky to be involved with shows that that have have provided me with resources and research um, to understand who I'm writing for. Um, in in some of the shows that are you know more on the entertainment side, a My Little Pony or a, an Avengers Assemble. Um, I think the the research is more about the world of the show and the characters. You know, both both of those shows have a have a great big um, history to them, and the and a, a family of characters that you kind of have to master, mm-hmm. <laughs> as well as the style. So the research in those shows is more about watching a whole buttload of shows and understanding what you're writing. How do you feel about? Uh, in in my opinion, I f- I feel like there's an awful lot of um, if, uh, there's a, the, with the culture of fans today, in my opinion, uh, there's an awful lot of like ownership and entitlement and people feeling a lot like, no, you didn't do this correctly, you know, to, to creators or saying, you know, like, I really like this from this show. Why didn't you do it like that? Do you ever, you ever hear any of that flack? It's happened. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, and I, I'm, in in some ways, I'm relatively new in the profession, right? I've I've been writing professionally for only eight years, and so um, I think I, I don't know if it's if that's happening more than it did. Um, I definitely I know that fans of many of the shows I write on are very vocal mm-hmm. um, and are not shy about letting their their opinions be known, and I think. Look, everybody. I, I think it's the world we live in with with Twitter, with Facebook. I think it, there are places where everybody can share their opinion, and just like people sharing their opinions on the street, you know, you, you, you just hope that people are paying attention, really, and and enjoying. <laughs> well, maybe maybe not so much on the street. I'm not sure. I'm hoping they're paying it. Maybe it's not like the street at all. I think I think that on Twitter, um, you are hoping that people are paying attention to what you're you're writing and that they're they're engaging with it um, and. Um, yeah, definitely. There've, there've, there've definitely been strong opinions expressed, but I kind of love it. I, I mm. have to say, I, I love that somebody, you know, got, got so interested or excited or involved in something that they, they are expressing a strong opinion one way or the other. Well, that's true. You know, if it, I think it's a general thing that if somebody cared to write a comment, they either really loved something or really hated it. Yep. And and I think that that there's a there there's a kind of a beauty in that anyway. Even though at, at first certainly it can be overwhelming to you know to somebody who's who still maintains a, a level of privacy to to suddenly be like oh my gosh they're tweeting at me. <laughs> um, but but I think that you know as, as long as anything is n- not intended hurtfully, um, I think that that all of it is is just part of the discussion and it's it's sort of the world we live in that sure. everybody everybody's jumping in everybody <laughs> in the pool um and that's that's kind of the name of the game so it doesn't it doesn't bug me i kind of i kind of enjoy it cool yeah what's, what's your uh, what what to you was the coolest project that you've done like a coolest show to write for coolest show to write I, I, you will not be surprised to hear from the, you know, from the earlier part of our conversation that the first day I was on set at Sesame Street, I sure. think was, was really, that was super mind blowing to me. Um, 
and and again, I think you touched on it before. I mean, you I, I think you can't you can't really overstate it. If it's a show, of, and and the the set there is so is a physical set. Mm-hmm. Um, the street is real. The steps of one two three are real. Oscar's trash can is real. Um, and to actually be on that set that you saw as a kid growing up was a little bit mind bending, um, <laughs> and and a little bit. It was really a bit of an out of out of body experience. Um, sure. So definitely to you know I I do love all the shows that that I've worked on, but Sesame certainly has a a, a very soft spot in my heart. Cool. Let's see. Um... How long? I, I want to know how long uh, does it usually take from uh, for an animated show from the first draft to finally seeing it on TV, and then what's it like to finally see like, oh, hey, there's my there's my name, and then the uh, the the dialogue begins. I can I can answer this very easily. It takes exactly forever, um, <laughs> or it feels like forever when you're when you're waiting for it to come on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it we. A lot of the shows I've done, so for Nick and and Disney Junior, and a lot of these networks don't have a, a standard like fall premiere season or spring premiere season. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of stuff gets rolled out whenever they feel like. Yeah. <laughs> so for I, I think for for the last shows I wrote for Fairly Odd Parents, I I, I forget Chad. I think it was like. I want to say it was like three years or something between the last ones I wrote and b- between writing them and, and them being aired. Um, I, I could be wrong about it. It might have been two, but it was, it was a long time. Um, so, f- you know, a lot, of, a lot of shows are quicker, but certainly with any animated show, you should be prepared that a, a show that you write, you're not going to see it uh, on screen for probably a year at, mm. at like six months to a year. No, a year. Year is about it. Um, uh, you know, I, I was I was long gone from the staff of Fairly Odd Parents by the time my last shows had aired. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, what is it like to see it? It's it's so cool to see something, see an animated show you've written, um, because unlike a live action show like Sesame, you you don't actually know what it's going to look like. Um, you know, sometimes as a writer, you're privy to the storyboards. You're you're privy to kind of the, the you know the lead up to the a- final animation, but most of the time, you just have no idea what um, you know what the animators are are going to do in their magic animator caves. Um, <laughs> th- like for for example, the stuff you know the episode of My Little Pony called um, called the Three's a Crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one, but Discord is in it. Um, and Discord has a has an has a song. I wrote a song for him called uh, "A Little Glass of Water, Please," where which is kind of his version of "If You Give a Mouse a Cookie." Mm-hmm. Um, he just he's he's sick. He's not feeling well, and he he asks Twilight for a little glass of water, and then his requests become more and more outlandish in this kind of klezmer number. <laughs> um, but the stuff the animators put in, like I put in crazy stuff. Like I I put in. I'm trying to even remember some of the lyrics I put in. Um, you know, a, a little glass of water, please. A, a, a you know, a, a maybe a, a collar for my Pekingese. I there was there was like a whole bunch of crazy stuff I put in there, um, and they put even more crazy stuff on top. So at one point, Discord wow. ended up being being dressed as Hunter S. Thompson. Um, <laughs> But I was like, yes, that's great. Like I didn't I didn't have to put that in, but but they like some you know, some some really 
crazy countercultural animator put in <laughs> put in Hunter, put in good old Hunter there. Um, and uh, and and so that's the kind of that's the kind of incredible surprise you see when when you have people who really are good at their jobs and know what they're doing. My mom, when I first when I first was writing for Fairly Odd Parents, my mom, I, I told mom I'd, I I'd been asked to write an episode. And my mom was like, well, will you be drawing the pictures too? I was like, no, mom, I won't be drawing the pictures. You know, I, like, when would I have been, when would I have learned that? Um, so no, I don't, I don't draw the pictures, but um, I'm really, really lucky that I work with great people who do. Mm. I, uh, I'm a big, uh, have you ever seen the show Lazy Town? Yeah. Another, another puppet show. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like, I think it's been described as like Sesame Street on crack. Yeah. Um, but in my opinion, it it hits uh, kind of like My Little Pony. It hit like a specific nerve where it's meant for a certain audience, but then also like another much older audience was like, this show is awesome. You As a writer, have you ever tried to hit that where you're like, you know, I wrote this for four through six-year-olds, but like a 20-year-old would think it's the coolest thing? Well, you know, I, I think that, it, it it depends on look i i feel that i'm i'm probably you know what what am i i'm 44 going on 12 or maybe i'm 12 <laughs> going on 44 i'm not mm-hmm. sure but but i think that i think that there's you know once you get into that 6 to 11 and 11 to 14 age i think that i think that the 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 age breakdowns are a little more spongy than people think mm-hmm. um I think that yeah, kids, big kids and little kids can enjoy an Odd Parents. Uh, you know, as as grown up writers for an Odd Parents or a My Little Pony, or even a Sesame. As you know, you you mentioned the Harry Potter parody, the f- Furry Potter and the Goblet of Cookies. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I think we're we're aiming for something that that tickles the you know certainly is aimed and and aimed to tickle the funny bone of the the child audience that's watching it, but also amuses the the child inside of us as grown-ups like yeah that's that's something that that makes me laugh um when hunter s thompson shows up in in my little pony oh yeah, um, yeah. well and I, I think the early or sorry to cut you off i think early sesame yeah. street I, I think maybe even jim henson himself said something like if you don't make the parents interested they're gonna turn the channel yeah i mean i think i think that there's there are shows that that are still out there that that I think get a, an audience of adults watching it that get people to you know to to that that doesn't make the adults cry uh, because it's it's so it's so babyish. Uh-huh. Look, though, I will also say that uh, you know a show that uh, I, I've never written for, of course, it's it's gone. You know, new episodes are gone, but Teletubbies. People slam Teletubbies, but Teletubbies was not actually meant for an adult audience. Um, right, it's right. adults are like, wow, that show is creepy. That show is scary. Um, I, I guess maybe you know, it, I guess it kind of got picked up by stoners who were like, dude, that is <laughs> that show is amazing. But it really wasn't made for an adult audience, and it was made. It was squarely aimed at develop, you know, at infants where they were developmentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, by those standards, it got their attention. Everything in that show was designed to hook an infant um, and 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 get a reaction from them. Um, 
you know, and we can debate whether that's a, a, a um, you know, whether whether that's an you know a, a, an ideal thing for us to want to do. Right. But but it was it wasn't. You have to know, I think, what a show, who a show is meant for, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, and who it's who it's aimed at. Cool. Well, I'll, uh, I want to ask you one last question, and you, Shoot. You, you may decide not to answer this question. What is your dream project? Like, is there, do you have something on the back burner? Like, uh, as, as a puppeteer, uh, like, I, I will admit, freely admit, I'm like, yo, I have this Beowulf rock opera that wow. I've uh, attempted to develop a couple times, and maybe when I'm 60, it'll finally happen. But do you have something... Where you're like, I, I, I want to do this someday, but it's too hard, too big, or you just haven't found the right, um, the right team yet. Wow. Um, I have, I think I have many projects that, that I really want to see before I've, I finally kick the bucket, which I hope is a lot of years off. Um, I think, you know, I would definitely say that uh, dear to my heart are some of my full length plays um, that haven't yet seen the audience that I would like them to see. Mm. Um, I'm so proud of the TV work I do. I really enjoy working in the profession I work in. But I definitely want to to get some of those plays in front of a wider audience. I think that, that play I mentioned before, Bunyan's Body, um, is is very close to my heart. Um, and, and a play that I wrote for my thesis play at NYU called 27 Pigs um, is, is something that that I that I really want to get out in front of the world, um, so I think it's not just one project, but it's it's if if anything, I think the 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 main thrust of the things that I really want to do are making sure that I I'm writing with my own voice as well as the the shows that I'm privileged enough to be part of um, as a freelance writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I really want to get more of my own. Um, my own work out there in the world in big ways and small ways. Um, that's, that's my, that's my next goal. That's my, uh, that's, that's my thrust for, uh, the future and, and hopefully not the far future, but even the present that we're in right now. <laughs> cool. Well, and I, ho- I like the idea of your yeah. Beowulf rock opera. That sounds awesome. Oh, thank you. I hope you do it way before you're 60. <laughs> I will. I, you know, I, I only say that because I think it was maybe Frank Paris or another famous uh, UConn alum or UConn teacher uh, uh-huh. went out with a bang, and everybody remembers his. Um, oh man, what do you? Uh, I'm trying to remember like the title of it now. It's uh, not Bird Machine. Something with birds. It's an opera that. Um, anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, he did something really big and really huge right towards the end, and he's like, "Well, f it, I've never done it. Here we go." Wow, you know, that's and, awesome. And made it happen. So I keep thinking, that's like, awesome. Someday when I'm really old, I and, don't have any commitments. And 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 someday I will tell you about my my experience doing Beowulf up in an upstate New York farm, uh, doing really? a, doing an outdoor production of it, partly in Middle English. Cool. Wow. The worst <laughs> production of Beowulf ever known to man. <laughs> it's like Middle English. Wow. Okay. Wet way garden yard degum. That is literally the first, uh, the first few words of Beowulf. Wow. Can't, uh, I can't remember what they mean, but 
But if you need someone to sing it, I'll be happy to. I'll I'll be happy to sing it for you. I love it. <laughs> I'm, I, I I can't wait for that. I know there's there is like there has been uh, a couple Beowulf musicals out there, but nobody's seen it. Like if I feel like every time you get like uh, like a creative idea, I'm like, oh man, somebody's already been done it. Like there has to be a little voice in the back of your head saying like, nobody's seen your version yet. Well, that's why you got to do it, man. You've got to yeah. get it get it out there. I did. I I I got a um. We had a residency at Flushing Town Hall in 2010, I think. Wow. And we did it, We did it, but it was like, I wasn't sure about it. I wasn't confident because it was all like new because I was doing shadow puppets. I was doing hand yeah. puppets, but hand shadows, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I'll show you the video sometime. We I want to see it. Yeah. 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 Anyway. That's, that story, that's, the story still works and... Uh, it's it's worked for you know how how many hundreds of years now? So the it's oldest still, epic English poem. It's not it's not going anywhere. But but I, I I think if if it's something that you I'm a big believer that that something that people really love they should not let go of. They should they should keep at it. Agreed. Oh. Agreed. Much like Christopher Lee releasing two metal albums before he kicked the bucket. Did he really? Is that he released two metal albums? Two metal albums and a Christmas album. <laughs> No, recent, recently? Metal Christmas. Yeah, that's what he's been up to. Before he um, recently passed away, like the last 10 years of his life Wow, about metal, heavy metal. Wow. He did, I didn't know that. Good for did, him. It was kick-ass. Um, Charlemagne, Omens of Death. <laughs> uh, it's, on my fa- it's one of my faves because I'm, really I'm really into fantasy metal. Awesome. <laughs> and he's that's like, great. he retells the, that's another one I would love to do like a, a play or to stage his work as a rock opera is wow. Charlemagne Omens of Death, where he just as himself of or himself as Charlemagne going through his entire uh, life. That's spectacular. It's awesome. Anyway. That sounds awesome. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> okay, go watch that, and then go listen to that, and then go watch Big Bird on Mr. Rogers. And I will definitely going to go watch Big Bird on Mr. Rogers. Okay. Ed, Ed Valentine, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to plug? I mean, you, people can check you out at edvalentine.com, correct? Yeah, that's my that's my website. Um, yeah, I've just I've got more. Um, I, I guess it can be told. I've got more more My Little Ponies coming up. Cool. Um, cool. And um, and and more Sesame's and um, just got got new things new things popping up all the time. So if people check out edvalentine.com, hopefully there'll be something uh, something there new to new to tell every week. Do you have a favorite pony? Do I have a favorite pony? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm I'm a big Rainbow Dash fan. Yes, awesome. Me too. I'm a huge Rainbow. I I, <laughs> I love writing for Rainbow Dash. Awesome, cool. I feel vindicated. <laughs> All right, thank you very much, Ed, and thank you, dear listeners, uh, for listening. We are the Jumpman Podcast. We're usually just my my brother and I uh, uh, give, coming at you every single week for free over at JumpmanPodcast.com. You can also check us out on RetroWareTV.com, Elder-Geek.com, uh, on Facebook or Twitter, and or subscribe to us on iTunes. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Chad, thanks so much.